please turn with me. <laughs> please turn with me this morning to uh, Jonah chapter one. Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Well, friends, we're beginning a series of studies uh, in this uh, marvelous book uh, of Jonah, and my uh, title for this morning is A Commission. Uh, from the Lord, a commission from the Lord. Um, I'm sure all of us here know the book of Jonah. I'm sure we've all read the book of Jonah and are familiar with it, but probably know really the basics of it. Uh, most people know that Jonah fled uh, from the Lord, fled from his commission when the Lord told him to go one direction, he went another. And almost everyone, I'm sure, especially if you grew up in a Christian family or went to Sunday school, you would have heard a lesson on Jonah being eaten, or not eaten, rather, uh, Jonah being in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights. And how he survived such an ordeal, came out, as it were, spat out uh, by that great fish when the Lord said, uh, told the fish to do that. And he survived and went and preached uh, to Nineveh, a duty that he was initially trying his very best to avoid. Well, there's, there's that, as you know, I'm sure, from this book, but friends, there's actually so much more in, in it. And as we go through it, I hope you also will gain uh, from the lessons that I left here in this book. It is a historical book. It's not a fiction it's not a satirical book, as some people say. It's a real uh, history book. You can place Jonah in a very specific time in history under King Jeroboam. Uh, you can see and uh, read about the places that I referred to here, Nineveh, the great city. You can go to the British Museum and you can see archaeological evidence uh, for this city. This is a historical book by all means. The most conclusive argument for its historicity is the Lord Jesus Christ himself referred three times uh, to Jonah in Matthew uh, ch chapter 12, Matthew chapter 16, and Luke 11, uh, passages that we will look at in due time. The Lord referred to Jonah as a real person, not as a person of fiction, not as a person using a parable, but a real person. Person and that uh, that is the biggest argument for Jonah being a true historical figure. When you read Jonah, it reads like a narrative and it is a narrative, and it's quite different actually when you compare it with the other uh, prophets, the books of the prophets. There you see a little bit more of the prophetical message, and uh, that comes through more. But when you read Jonah, it reads very much like a narrative. It differs in style from the other minor prophets. And Jonah, we can say right from the beginning, is not really your run-of-the-mill prophet. He's so unusual, he's so odd in so many ways. 
He receives a message from God. Well, the other prophets, they receive a message from God and they deliver the message to the people, to Israel or to Judah. They go very quickly about their business, usually. But Jonah's different. He receives a message from God and he runs the other way. He runs in the opposite direction. Why is he doing that? Well, we'll consider some of these things uh, today. And then when he, uh, every preacher longs for success. Every preacher wants people to repent when they preach the gospel and tell them God is going to send judgment. You must turn to Him to see a whole city turning uh, to, to Christ. Well, that would be marvelous. That would be wonderful. Well, that's what Jonah saw. But instead of being glad and thankful that somebody repented at his preaching, that a whole city repented at his preaching, he was angry. You read in the last chapter that he got angry that God was merciful for, uh, to the people of Nineveh. Well, in these ways, he's so unusual as a prophet, and yet still God used him. Still God used this, uh, this, this prophet with all his weaknesses and deficiencies. And so we have here in this book, as we just think about it in an introductory way today, we have here a number of themes. Uh, we can see the, the sovereignty of God. We won't go into any detail in these things, but we see God's sovereignty over the sea and uh, over the sea creatures. They're all in His hands. They all do His bidding. Just like when Christ, when the winds and the waves were uh, filling the boat and He just stood up and said, be still. It showed again His, his sovereignty. And here we see this uh, in uh, Jonah. We see God's sovereignty not only over His creation, but also in salvation. In Jonah, uh, ch in chapter 2 and verse 9, uh, Jonah said, Salvation is of the Lord. Very telling words. But that's the whole message of the Bible. That salvation is not in the hands, in our hands. Salvation is not in man's hands. As some people will tell you, it's up to you. You want salvation, you only have to ask for it. You only have to uh, take it from God. As if it's up to man, there are people who teach these this way. But no, friends, salvation belongs to God. He is sovereign. He dispenses it as He chooses. It's for our part, we must come before Him and plead, Lord, have mercy upon me. I come before Him as a beggar. Lord, save me. Uh, be merciful. Be gracious unto me. He doesn't have to give us. It's up to Him if He withholds salvation. But if you come to Him in that way, He promises that He, you, he will. He will bless you. He will hear your cry. In, in that way. But it's not man. It's not in us. It's not up to me. It's not my decision for, for God, for Christ, that matters. As if that is the pivotal point. No, friends. We come to Him in this right way, realizing He gives it as a gift. He is sovereign in His dispensation, a dispensing of uh, salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. We see uh, how God uses preaching, even in the old times, just like in the new times, New Testament. Preaching is the instrument that He uses to uh, win uh, these Ninevites, these unconverted people uh, to Himself. We see, of course, in Jonah being in that fish three days and three nights, a picture, the sign of Jonah is the Lord referred to it as uh, re referring to Him. It was a picture of Christ and his resurrection, him being in the grave three days and three nights, and then rising again. And we look at that. 
There's also here prayer and repentance. The compassion of God comes through uh, this, this message. So many things. You could even look at this. You could even say the Sunday school is taught here. In the very last verse where uh, the Lord said to, to Jonah, and it closes in this way, Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? That's 120,000 people, the Lord said. 120,000 infants, those who are unable as yet to read and write and to discern things. God had concern for this city because of these infants and children who were there. Oh, friends, how God loves children. How God cares for you, your little child. Sorry, not little child. We don't have any little children here, but your children here today. It's lovely to see you. But know this, God also cares for you. God also has compassion about you. God thinks about you. Adults may not. Adults may not think about you. Adults may pass you by. But God has compassion upon you. God thinks about you. So we have the necessity even to... God is concerned that the children hear the gospel. That's why we, we think about our Sunday school. Well, one of the main purposes of this book is to demonstrate that God is no respecter of persons, that uh, He is the same to all uh, who call upon Him. He is a God for all nations. He is not for the Jews only, but He is also a God for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. This is what Jonah found very hard to accept. Uh, he found it very difficult to accept. That's part of the reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. When God said, go and preach to Nineveh, he didn't want to go because Nineveh was a Gentile city. Nineveh was so many miles away. It was a city that was idolatrous. It was a non-Jewish city. But he hated, he hated, as it were, in a sense, to take the gospel uh, to, uh, to, to them. Hated may be a little bit of a strong word, but he was very much indisposed uh, to taking the gospel to them. That's why he ran away uh, from this, his commission. That's part of the reason he ran away. He was, in his heart, there was prejudice against uh, non-Jewish people. He's very much in favor for the Jews, but uh, if mercy for the Jews, yes. Mercy for the Gentiles, no. Favor from God for the Jews, yes. Favor from God for the Gentiles, no. That was his way of thinking. Very much restricted to the Jews. I used to think even the Jewish people, and perhaps Jonah also thought like that, that if you were a Jew, you were automatically under God's blessing. You're automatically saved because you were born a Jew. Well, that was the wrong way of thinking. So there was this uh, deep, uh, deeply lodged prejudice in the heart of uh, Jonah. And God goes about through this way to break that prejudice in him. The, he brings the prophet uh, through even this event, these events, to, to see that he is a God for all people. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God doesn't make national, nationalistic distinctions and see where you come from or what color you, you are or, or what language you speak. He is a God for everyone. 
as Isaiah would put it, a little, Isaiah who lived a little, little later and prophesied a little later than Jonah, uh, he put it, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. Not just the God of Israel, but of the whole earth, Isaiah 54, verse 8. And then again, I think it's Isaiah 56, verse 7, uh, the house of prayer for all people, not just for the Jews. You know the verse, and, but Jonah really, he should have known these things. It seems that he didn't know that God was a God for everyone. He should have been familiar with the promise to Abraham, that the Lord promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations, not just the Jewish nation. And so he should have done, but it seems either to have forgotten it or to slip into the, the way that, of thinking of the, uh, the people around him. Well, he wasn't the only one, is it? When we go to the New Testament, we can see another prophet and another apostle thinking along the same lines. Another apostle who was also deeply prejudiced against going to the Gentiles, and that was Peter. He had the commission from the Lord as well, go out into the ends of the earth, Go out into Jerusalem, Samaria, and all the other parts of the earth. Take the gospel out. Don't just stay in Jerusalem. But he had trouble doing that. He had grown up in his life. He had never, ever entered into a home of a Gentile. He had never eaten food, together, had a meal together with Gentiles, with non-Jewish people. They stuck to their own close community. And so God had to break even this prejudice in, in his heart. And you remember what happened in Acts chapter 10, where God wanted the gospel to go to Cornelius and to his household. Well, Peter had to, God had to prepare Peter for that event. And you remember how God gave him a vision and he saw a, a big sheet coming down from heaven. And in this sheet, there were all manner of beasts and uh, creeping things, clean and unclean things were in this beast. And the voice came to Peter said, uh, Peter, uh, rise up and eat. And he said, no, not so. Not so, Lord. Uh, by, in other words, by no means and am I going to ever touch those unclean things. I've never eaten any unclean things. Nothing like that has ever passed through my mouth. And the voice of God said, what God, the voice said, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Three times that happened to him in the vision. And then that prepared him, that taught him that uh, he must be, uh, he must cross that threshold and enter into the, the home of Cornelius. So when the, the Cornelius' servant came and asked him to, to come and uh, tell the gospel uh, to them, well, Peter went without asking any questions. And when he got there, you remember when he entered, crossed over that threshold into Cornelius' house, well, he was surprised. The whole place was filled with people, family and friends of Cornelius, the Roman centurion. And people were there waiting to hear what, what uh, uh, Peter had to say, waiting to hear the gospel. And what is Peter's first words? Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He got it. It's strange. He's realized a bit more. This is, uh, this is the gospel is for everyone. And then when he returned even to the church at Jerusalem and he 
he was confronted by the circumcision, that group who emphasized more the keeping of the law. And uh, he, he had to explain to them and to the whole church, well, uh, what happened uh, and why he went into a Gentile home and what he saw and what he experienced there. He went through and retold uh, everything uh, to them. And at the end, after they had heard his account, he said, they said, uh, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. They, they got it as well. They, uh, they realized it's the gospel is not only for the Jews. Well, friends, there's an application for us here because there may be prejudice in my heart, in our hearts. Uh, the gospel, we know, mentally anyway, it's for everyone. We shouldn't restrict the, the, the gospel to a certain group. We know it's to be preached uh, to everyone. But do I pick and choose who I witness to? Do I pick and choose who I will uh, share the word with or give a tract to? Uh, do I share the gospel only with nice people and avoid sharing the gospel with those who are not so nice, those who annoy me, Maybe those who trouble me, that colleague who isn't so friendly with me, I'm not going to tell her the gospel. I'll just tell the colleague opposite me. She's nice. She gives me, she gives me things to eat. She's, she's kind to me. She helps me in my work. I'll share with her. I'm not going to share with them. We may not say it. There's prejudice, friends. Do we, do we preju are we prejudiced because of people's status? I don't think so here. I don't think we like that, but some people may because they're working class or the other way around. Oh, the upper class. I'm not going to talk to the upper class. They're too rich. They've got everything in life. Why should I talk to them? Why should I tell them the gospel? It's the poor who have the gospel preached to them. Oh, that would be prejudice, friends. If you have an opportunity to speak. Remember Paul, he said, I make myself all things to all men. He had his scope for gospel preaching and witness was all men, whoever in a sense came before him, the high and the low, the rich and the poor, the Jew and the Gentile, all were opportunities for him to try and reach and to win. Oh, they're a different nationality, I can't go near them, they speak a different language, they don't even speak English. They're refugees from another country, they're foreign. Prejudice, friends. But we're not, I'm sure we're not like that. But it may be deeply, these kind of things may be deeply seated in us. We want to be open-minded uh, to whatever person, whoever comes our way. Well, this mention of uh, Jonah is actually not the first time it's meant, uh, first mention of Jonah. And nor is it the first uh, prophecy of him. But we read uh, of his first the first time we read of him is in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14. And I'll just read that to you, 2 Kings 14. Here in the time of Jeroboam, verse 25, he restored, Jeroboam restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his prophet Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet which was of Gath Hefer. Well, we can learn so much even from, from that verse. Uh, we learn a little bit more about Jonah and his, his background uh, there. 
he was a prophet uh, to the northern tribes of, of Israel. He lived and prophesied uh, during the reign of Jeroboam II, which was 793 BC to 753 BC. And he came uh, from this town uh, just north of uh, Nazareth called uh, Gath Hefer in the, in the tribe of Zebulun. Incidentally, <laughs> remember how uh, the, the, the scribes said, no prophet, they said to Nicodemus, there's no prophet arisen from, from Nazareth. Well, here is one, from Galilee rather. Well, here is one. Jonah was actually uh, from uh, Galilee. Well, he, Jonah's period of ministry uh, began uh, just after the time of Elisha, the prophet. So he may well have been one of those people in the schools of the prophet. He may well have said, sir, under the tutelage of Elisha, maybe even Elijah, who knows? And he follows on uh, closely. Uh, his contemporaries were Amos and Hosea. And so if we read those books, it gives us an idea what it was like uh, for, uh, for Jonah in the time of Israel at that, at that particular time. But 2 Kings 14, 25 also tells us of God's gracious favor uh, to Israel. Is the northern kingdom, well, they were turned against God. They had turned to idolatry. The sin of Jeroboam, an alternate place of worship, was in place. And God tried again and again through his prophets, through Elijah, through Elisha, to bring them back again to himself. And here also in the two kings we read how this prophecy of Jonah was an act of God to try and bring back his people once again by being gracious to them. They'd lost land to the Syrians. And now God gave them a victory in battle, an undeserved victory. He gave them a victory through Jeroboam, and they regained land, and there was a token of God's goodness to Israel. It was a token of God's blessing to them. It was a very gracious thing which God did, but with the intention of making Israel to see, God is your God. He is gracious. He's kind. You should be worshipping Him. You should be serving Him. You should be living for Him, not these idols. But they didn't re respond. They refused. Israel still refused to turn. Oh, friends, in a similar way, uh, God seeks to win us. If we are outside of Christ today, God doesn't, want, God doesn't come and coerce you and force you to come to Him. He woos you. He woos you to Himself. He loads your life one with many good things. We deserve nothing from God. We deserve to be on the streets, as it were. We deserve nothing from Him, but He is good, and He fills your life with so many good things. You have food on your table every day. That's a gift from God. You have a job. You have abilities. These are gifts from God, and they're given to you to make you realize God is good. Turn to Him. Let His goodness lead you gently back to Him, to repentance. That's what it's about, friends. That's how God seeks to woo us and to win us to Himself. Well, this method didn't work with uh, Israel, so God uses another method, and He sends Jonah uh, to Nineveh, this Gentile city, uh, to preach. And uh, the, the, the wish, the hope of God is that when Israel realizes and sees uh, Nineveh repenting 
that they will turn back to God themselves. When they will see God having mercy on, uh, on Nineveh, they will return themselves back to their, their king, their maker. And what God is doing is trying to provoke them to jealousy. They had provoked him to jealousy by their idols, but he now in turn seeks to provoke them to jealousy by having mercy on this non-Jewish city, to try and, in a sense, shame them into repentance, to make them realize, oh, God is so good, look what he's done for others. We We should return back to him. Moses spoke about this in his song, Uh, Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provide them, I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So God is trying in this way, by blessing somebody else, to win back the affections of his people. It's rather a modern-day example would be so he has a young lad and he's interested in a young, a young lady and uh, he wants to, uh, uh, as it were, start a relationship with this young lady and, uh, but she's not interested in him. She rebuffs all his attempts uh, to start something and get a relationship going. Well, maybe he might try uh, and pretend in a feigned way uh, to set his affections on another girl. Uh, in her sight, so with, with her knowledge, in this, in, uh, try to win her affection by doing that kind of ac- action. That's not a safe thing to do, not a wise thing to do. But uh, this is what, something what God is doing here. Except God doesn't do things feignedly. He really did feel for Nineveh. He really did have compassion on his people. But at the same time, he was trying to win back uh, his uh, people. Uh, by provoking them to do do, uh, in this way. Sadly, when news of Nineveh's repentance did filter back to Israel, it didn't affect them in any way. There was no change uh, in them. Well, there's an application for us uh, here too, friends, uh, sometimes to stir us, to raise us up uh, from spiritual apathy. The Lord may send into our midst uh, a young brother or sister, uh, zealous uh, for the Lord, hungry uh, for the Word. And they come in and they, they love to come. You don't have to urge them to come. They love to come to the meetings. They love to meet together to pray. They love to get involved in the witness of the church. They're there uh, they're of their own accord. They're asking these things. They're keen uh, believers. And uh, everyone can see when such a person comes in, oh, uh, he's so zealous for the Lord. The Lord is blessing him, and the Lord is uh, using him. Uh, he's a real, f- uh, really fervent for the Lord and under his blessing. And maybe it will, it will stir us and say, I want to be fervent too. I should be like that. I must stir myself by seeing such a person come in. Maybe the Lord will use that to shame me into, oh, what a, what a pathetic response I've given to my Savior. I must stir myself, take a hold of myself, and be in the, uh, follow even this example that is set before me. Well, let's just very quickly, friends, with that rather long introduction, let, let me just quickly look at this commission of the Lord. Uh, verse, verse 1, uh, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. 
This is a personal message to uh, Jonah. It's not a prophecy. It's a personal message to Jonah himself, a word for him. This is your task, Jonah. This is your commission from me. You are to go uh, to Nineveh and preach against their sins. The word may have come in a vision, or it may have been an audible voice. Well, we don't really know for sure. But this is his commission, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. He's to preach judgment. I'm sure it was tempered also uh, with mercy. Uh, he would have had to preach uh, repentance as well, and the mercy of God, I'm sure. Uh, but it doesn't, perhaps not so clearly, because he was half-hearted in his preaching. And do you remember how the king, uh, well, we'll come to it in due time, but the king said, if but, when they repented, if perchance God will have mercy on me. He wasn't really sure, will God have mercy upon me? Perhaps Jonah was a little bit, didn't give the full story, that God is not only God of judgment, who must punish sin, but he's also God of mercy. And the moment we repent and turn to him, he will forgive us, he will hear us, he will bless us, he will uh, bring us uh, to himself. Well, Nineveh, this city, was to be overthrown. In chapter 3, verse 4, we, read, we learn further that it would be in 40 days' time. They had 40 days to put things right. Nineveh, capital city of Assyria, uh, the great power of the time, uh, some 700 miles uh, away from where Jonah currently was in Israel, lying there on the east side of the Tigris River, uh, present-day uh, Iraq. It was a great city uh, with palaces and temples, large gardens and parks, commercially successful, uh, commercial hub maybe of the world, very successful place, a place to make money, and uh, from a very great city also in terms of its, uh, its length, its, its distance, its size. It took three days, we read, to go from one end to another. And as we said, the population was big. There were 120,000 least infants. So some people have estimated there may have been, well have been, over 600,000 people, possibly more, uh, in that city. But it had this against it, that it was a wicked city. It was a terrible place. It was a, a hotbed of evil, we could say. Polytheistic, yes. Idolatrous, yes. But also a violent place. And again, we can get this from the king's word, words, chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. So, uh, to not a nice place really uh, for a believer, but to such a city, uh, Jonah was sent. Well, this was such a daunting task for him. To be sent such a long way, to travel all that way, on foot, most likely. It would be a very difficult uh, task to go as a foreigner and preach uh, to the Ninevites. It was a very fearful uh, thing for him to do, a very inconvenient thing for him to do. He had to leave his familiar surroundings, leave uh, the place and the comforts that he had in Israel and go to this foreign place and preach uh, a message of judgment also to them. He might be attacked. He might be set upon. He might lose his life. 
And all these things may have been a great concern to them. Besides, he may have thought, well, will I have any success if I go? After all, that city is flourishing and it's a, a, a splendid city. Will anyone listen to me? Will any, everyone's making lots of money. Everyone's getting on with their own life. Will I have any success uh, even there? He, is it worth me even going, he may have thought. After all, these people, they're so steeped in sin and maybe they deserve judgment. Uh, what, what's the use of going? So he was hesitant uh, to go. He was reluctant about going, and maybe these thoughts uh, filled uh, his mind. But he had to go. He had to go because God had said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh. It wasn't an option. It was a command that was given to him. Arise, go, uh, go to Nineveh. That word arise, friends, is not just a simple word saying, Get up from your seat, from where you are, and, and go. No, it's, it's more than that. It's more action-packed than that. The word means to stir yourself. Take a hold of yourself, Jonah. Rouse yourself uh, in such a way. Shake off any reluctance that you have. Now's the time to act. Obey uh, promptly and immediately and energetically this word that I give to you. It's important, friends, we, we point that out. This, this is a, a command uh, for Jonah because it's Jonah's disobedience that uh, to this command that is so central as well in the book. Well, God expected Jonah to obey. God expected Jonah to obey willingly. God expected Jonah to obey wholeheartedly, promptly. God expected Jonah to obey energe energetically. God expected Jonah to obey precisely the command that is given uh, to him. And it's the same for us, friends. We too have a God-given commission to take the gospel, a command to take the gospel out to our community, this great city that we live in, London. The greatest city in the world, our mayor tells us. Great for what? Great for many things. A financial center, yes, but also steeped, isn't it, in sin? Steeped also in evil in so many ways. Steeped also in hardness. It's no easy task to take the gospel uh, to our fellow Londoners. Many do not want to hear these things. Many have no interest in listening to the gospel. Many are so attached to their sins and their own lifestyles. To witness to them, well, that's hard. We're often rebuffed on the street. We give out tracts. Many people say no. Many people turn us down. You knock on doors. People don't open the doors. You know people sometimes are inside, but they don't open the door. They don't want to know. People uh, sometimes are even worse than that. They come out with nasty words and snarls and uh, look at you in, uh, as if with, with anger it's sometimes in their eyes. They, as if they would <laughs> were violent in what they wish to do to you. And all you're doing is offering them the gospel. Well, friends, uh, that's, uh, that's, these are the, the things that we face. It may even be the weather. The weather's are difficult. Oh, it's cold and it's uh, windy outside. It's so inconvenient to go out witnessing or to go door knocking or to get involved in the Sunday school. But these are a command from God. 
We have to uh, stir ourselves. That same word comes to us. Arise, stir yourself, uh, rouse yourself, and obey uh, this commandment. This is the command that we have from the Lord, and we must uh, obey it uh, as well promptly and uh, diligently, despite all the difficulties that we may uh, face uh, coming to an end, friends. But uh, here, let me just think as well. Do you know some of our charismatic friends? They're very good. They're very energetic in preaching the gospel. When we go out sometimes onto the high street, most, most of the other groups who are there, well, they're Pentecostal or charismatic. You cannot uh, floor them in this aspect, that they, are, uh, that they are keen to take the gospel out. But the problem that they have is that they're not giving a precise message. They're not giving a, a, a biblically sound message. Our problem, on the other hand, is the other way around. We have the accurate message. We have the biblical message. We know what is the right way to say it and what we should put before people. But we're lacking in energy. We're lacking in enthusiasm for the cause. And uh, we, 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 uh, we take it a little bit uh, too easy, uh, really, in terms uh, of uh, witness. It's hard work. It's true. It's challenging. And it doesn't appeal to us uh, naturally. And maybe we want to avoid it and run from it like Jonah ran from his task. But friends, we must arise uh, to our task. And with precision, we must also join and attach enthusiasm and energy uh, for uh, the Lord's work. Oh, may the Lord help us in these things. Jonah rose up uh, to flee. Uh, he, well, he did arise, but he arose to flee uh, to Tarshish. He went all the way to this uh, uh, place. Here was Nineveh in the east, and he went all the opposite direction uh, in, to the west, some 2,000 miles away. People think Tarshish was uh, southern Spain, and he went, tried to aim to go all the way, as far as he can, from that word that he had received, from that commission, from the presence of the Lord. Well, God willing, we'll look a little bit more at that uh, next week. But here, friends, is our commission from the Lord. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 463. <clears throat> 463.